This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Vimeo, the new home for 360 video. Hi, everybody. This is Liz Nord, and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Renee Felice Smith and C.A. Gabriel may have higher profile industry experience than you or I do. Renee's been a lead actress on one of TV's most popular shows, NCIS Los Angeles, for eight seasons, and CA has composed commercial music for high-profile brands like Chrysler, Kraft Foods, and Jose Cuervo. But when it comes to making indie films, they're in the same boat as we are, trying to make their vision a reality with limited time and resources. And in fact, they may be even more fiercely committed to independence because they're normally beholden to the creative visions of their bosses or clients, which is something that many of us who have day jobs in the industry can relate to. The pair has collaborated on some short films, but their first indie feature as co-writers and co-directors is The Relation Trip, an utterly charming film where an entire relationship accelerates from meeting to marriage to breakup over the course of one surreal weekend. In the film, Renee also plays the character of Beck opposite Matt Bush's Liam. In this episode of the No Film School podcast, you'll hear my conversation with Renee and CA, or Chris as you'll hear us call him, from South by Southwest where the film premiered earlier this year. I think you'll really enjoy hearing about how they took everything they've learned on other people's sets and parlayed it into their own film that they made with their best friends, and especially how they used low-budget practical effects to make their weirdest fantasies real on screen, including the decision to spend six whole hours out of a 16-day shoot on an 11-second stop-motion animation. So do you two want to introduce yourselves and tell me a little bit about your film? Sure. Great. Uh, C.A. Gabriel. Um, I, I co-wrote and co-directed and scored the film. And Renee Felice Smith, I also co-directed, co-wrote, and acted in The Relation Trip. And the film is a high-speed romance. Mm-hmm. Two millennials um, meet at a party and decide to go on a friendship, friendship, uh, friend trip. Mm-hmm. It is hard to it's say. It's a tongue twister. <laughs> uh, and kind of swearing off relationships. We don't need to rush into things. And then they do. And over the course of a three-day weekend, we get to see them go through all the stereotypical relationship, relationship tropes. <laughs> and um, yeah, and it gets really wacky really quick. I think you summed it up. <laughs> um, you both come from other roles in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious about a little about what else you do outside of co-directing and also what you then kind of brought from those roles into the director's chair. Sure. Um, Yeah. Like you said, we both have day jobs, I guess. Uh, I, I work on a show on CBS and CIS LA, and I've been a series regular on that show for the past seven seasons. Uh, this is season eight of the show, and uh, that's been incredible, and it also has afforded me to pursue other projects. Um, we made two short films together before this feature, uh, One of the films we produced was here at South by Southwest in 2015. And I feel like for me, um, my job, you know, being on set has become a mini film school. Um, I ask all the questions. (laughs) Um, I'm not the type of actor who just wants to be told like, okay, here's your mark. Like, and then, you know, uh, sit down. <laughs> I really want to know what's happening. And I, I ask the DP all the time, 
of Victor Hammer, what's happening, why he's lighting something a certain way. And, you know, what we're, oh, we're swapping lenses. Oh, we're, you know, we're, is this, and, and, and I always look at the shot, um, where I feel like sometimes, you know, as actors, we get, we can get really lazy and just kind of rely on other people to tell us what's happening around us all the time. And I really have tried to do the opposite of that and just try to self-educate on set. And I, I think that has inspired our work and, you know, kind of allowed us to, to, to work. Yeah. Actually, before we jump into Chris, now I'm really curious, what's, what's something that kind of jumps out that you, a tip that you heard from the DP or something that you... Well, it's interesting. Um, I really pay attention to all of the shots that we're getting for a scene. So um, this, we had a director once and I remember I my character was in a hotel room and we were entering the hotel room and it was all on steady cam and he was getting all of my reactions to what I was seeing in the hotel room. Basically I had to look for a briefcase and open up the briefcase and get something out of it. And I was dressed as a maid and you know, it was like an <laughs> undercover op basically. My character gets to do that sometimes when she's not in front of the computer. Um, uh-huh. but I remembered thinking, and this is maybe right after I, I had done my first short film and it's funny. Uh, so I remember he was getting all of my reaction shots and then we were cleaning up, moving on. Everyone was moving on. And I kind of raised my hand and I was like, Hey, um, you know, I think I talked to the scripty or whoever was right next to me. I said, don't we need like, from my perspective of the room, how is this going to cut together? If it's just me looking around the room and the camera's on me, don't we need the reverse? Like, do we need to see like my POV? And, and that was the first time I remember feeling like, Oh wow, I know what's going on around me, you know, like, Oh wow. And then she mentioned it to the director and he's like, Oh, we totally knew that. Oh shit. (laughs) So he was like, well, thanks Renee for saving my ass kind of a thing. But for me, it wasn't, I, I was like, Oh wow. I know what's happening now. Mm. You know, it was like, it was validating for me. Um, you know, as not just an actor then like, as a filmmaker, just to know what's happening around you on set is, it's a challenge when you're first starting out. I mean, it's a circus. But it's empowering too, I imagine. Exactly. And that's what it was. It was empowering. And the more time I spend on set, uh, the more I speak up and the more I assert myself and the more questions I ask and, well, why'd you do it like this? Well, why, (laughs) you know, I've always been that student. I've always asked way too many questions in math class, you know, but uh, I think your questions become your strength and, you know, they give you vital information. (laughs) Um, I mean, we're no film school. Like we're all about that. Exactly. Learning from practical experience. Yeah. Yeah. From your, you know, you can teach yourself. And I should say when, when we were making our first couple of shorts, Renee had just had this experience where she started to understand. Mm -hmm. And I, I remember learning from Renee what Mm -hmm. she had learned and that for me sort of lifted the hood. And then it was the first time that I kind of saw how like, oh yeah, this is actually how it's made. And then once that 
door opened, there was so much more learning. Cause then I would just, I just absorbed, I just watched. And I, you know, once you understand a little bit about how films are made, you can can expand on that so quickly. Mm. But for most people, the people that, uh, the biggest fans of movie movies, like the general public who really appreciate the magic of movies, which I have always been that person. Mm -hmm. Once you show that person a little bit of how it works, Mm. I mean, you can learn so much so quickly, and that's kind of what we did. We mm-hmm. we lifted the hood, and then we just went we went nuts, and we watched things, and we took notes, and we you're read also, about it. You're also you've always been super self educated with composing. Mm-hmm. So Chris is a composer, his day job. Right. So that so that. to answer your earlier question, I am a composer, and I work m- mainly in commercial music, so advertising music, very short jingles. Um, car, car commercials. commercials, tampon commercials, you name it. It's, <laughs> wow, it's, how but do you really, score a tampon commercial? Like, what does a tampon oh, sound usually like? like? They're usually like super sexy. Ew, no. Yes. Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> yeah, like super sexy empowerment. That's usually, and then you're like, always, you know, that's, yeah. that's, oh, that's the vibe. Oh my goodness, yeah. how strange. Yeah. Okay. Chris will read the breakdown to me sometimes, and it's just, it's so funny the way they describe the sounds that they want to hear to match up with the product. Yeah, I mean, and then you're like, oh, what is the project? What is product. the product? Oh, okay, it's a tampon. I get it. Okay. Yeah. Huh. It's very funny. Anyway, but, sorry for the departure, but that's fascinating. <laughs> yeah, it is. It is. It is fascinating. Mm-hmm. But, so that is, and I love it. I love my job. I love being able to do something drastically different every job. I can do, you know, like an epic trailer score for something. And then the next day I'm doing EDM and then the next day I'm doing blues and that's really fun. And that, you know, it made me become really prolific and much less precious than I used to, that I used to be with music, which also, I mean, that has also translated into making this film, the idea of being prolific and not being precious and, and really using your parameters to create something and not worrying about, well, I wish we had this. I wish we had that. Mm-hmm. But here's what we do have. Here are our Lego pieces. Let's make the best possible thing we can make with these pieces. And you do that in your studio all the time with like the score. Actually, Chris uses a lot of like made instruments if mm-hmm. he doesn't have it or if you if it's out of reach and, you know, you can't get one or you can't afford it. Chris will like find a way to make one so he's actually made like this steel guitar because he wanted this certain sound and and certain things like that and and in our film the score chris learned to play the theremin which is this like insanely complicated instrument and you feel like you're like talking to aliens when you are playing it it's communicating with aliens i should say yeah it was i mean and that was just you know and like i said the, the whole idea of building an instrument was that same principle went into the uh, special effects in the movie. It was the same thing. It was we want to do, we want to achieve this goal. Mm-hmm. So how do we how do we do it? Just with our hands and with our friends mm-hmm. and in a room, just like brainstorming and you know using either trick photography or some practical effects or uh, makeup. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really but, that's really fun. But it's interesting like talking about this out loud now, um, and seeing how like our day jobs really influence the way we approach this film. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that's kind of interesting because 
like I said, you're so self-educated. You, although you went to music school, you didn't learn, you know, the programs through music school. Right. right? And, and you didn't learn to play the theremin in class. You know, it's, <laughs> it's kind of, um, the way indie film gets made, right? Mm-hmm. If you, if you want to make it, you'll find a way. Mm-hmm. And I should say the other, uh, another answer to that question about our day jobs and how that affects how that affected the movie is that we, we both do a certain thing for our jobs Mm -hmm. and there was a a need for both of us or a desire for both of us to do something that was innately us, which we're for years, you know, have been carrying out another vision, which is great. And we're super grateful for, but there is something, and I'll just speak to the score. There is something about what, you know, what I did musically for the movie, nobody ever would have let me do that for their project. Right. Mm-hmm. It was weird. I made weird choices. I, the theremin is blankets the score. And I, cause we thought that that was such a cool sound and sort of set the film apart and gave it that eerie vibe, but also still comical. Mm-hmm. Um, but other directors or other um, producers have wouldn't have been into that. It's, it, it, it's a scary it's a scary thing a to say, choice. I'm going to make these these weird sounds all over the film. Yeah, it's a bold choice. And I think that's what we were both after. We, we didn't want to like shy away from these decisions. You know, we wanted to lean into them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you don't have to when it's your film, right? Exactly. exactly. You don't have to shy away. You just, yeah, you make what's inherently, innately you, mm-hmm. I guess. I was also wondering, Chris, if like there's something about your musicality like something that that comes from composing that helped like pace the film or like helped helped with the way the film kind of plays out. I yeah, I think so. And we we spoke about this a little bit last night. That's interesting. Though. I have personally my music. I started as a songwriter and then I got into composing. But I have this I have this struggle as a composer where it's very hard for me to write something that's longer than three minutes long <laughs> because I have this. Beatles aesthetic. I have the, it's pop, it's verse, chorus, verse, chorus, bridge, chorus, out. And there's no fat. There's no extra uh, parts that you're like, well, what does that mean for the song? I, you know, when I listen to music, when I listen to scores, and then I realized when I watch films, it's the ones that are, that are straight through all necessary information or all necessary, um, imagery that that I think that is how that translated for me where mm. we when we were writing with our our third writer Dana Scanlon there was a big part of just trimming and cutting out fat mm. and we wanted the move we wanted the movie to move very fast um to parallel be, yeah beside the fact that, that we like that aesthetic but we wanted it to parallel how quickly these two people are blasting through this relationship yeah so and yeah, so I think that does <clears throat> that does sort of come from the um, that that music side and that pop side. Yeah, I would say that um, the music with the film is completely different with temp music. Obviously, mm-hmm. we received our first assembly from our editor uh, Eric Wilson, and it it just has a completely different feel, mm-hmm. and it did feel disjointed and. It didn't have the flow that it has that we think it has now, um, and and I think the music is a huge part of that. I understand that you guys are co-directors and co-life 
people. Yes. yes. (laughs) Um, So I'm curious. I mean, it's, I'm always curious about how co-directors negotiate on set, like Mm. um, who makes what decisions and kind of who's in charge and how does that work? And, Mm. you know, does it get confusing? Mm -hmm. And in your case, you've got the added level of like your interpersonal dynamics. Mm -hmm. So how, how did you decide kind of how things would go on set? I think Chris and I really share a very kind of scary, similar uh, aesthetic. Um, And generally, obviously, as you pointed out, we're kind of color coordinated and that was not on purpose. Um, But yeah, so I feel like that has enabled us to generally be on the same page with major decisions. And so it makes working together, you know, make sense. A a lot of it is um, pre-production is prep work before. Yeah. Before we got to set, we, uh, Renee and I drew, we sketched um, cartoons essentially of every shot that we knew we needed to get just for our own sake that on the day it was essentially our shot list, but we're visual people. So we Mm -hmm. drew the sketches any like from the doorway with the mom's legs and when you, we put it in this big photo album, like very like 80s style, yeah. like grandma's photo album. We have all of the cards in it. Yeah. And uh, actually looking back after we made the movie and we edited, edited it, we went back and looked at those cards and it almost reads exactly it's like the film. <laughs> we we got every shot that we drew and there, some of them are like spot on. Yeah. It's really, really cool. Well, I'm like such a visual person. I'm a visual learner and Chris actually in heading into pre-production we were like do we need a sh- do you know how are we how are we going to organize ourselves also because I was acting and in almost every scene we needed to have it mapped out for us. So we weren't making decisions on the fly. I mean, of course you do anyway, Mm -hmm. but you need to have that roadmap, um, to set yourself up for success and to carry out your vision, Mm -hmm. you know, um, to assure that you have all the pieces that you need to then put it together and make the film that you set out to make. Mm -hmm. So, um, you were kind of resistant to the to the drawings at first. (laughs) Um, We didn't have, you know, a professional storyboard artist. It was just the two of us scribbling, but it really helps with, you know, just uh, having a visual shot list. I I would much rather a visual shot list. Mm -hmm. Um, While we are so alike in a lot of ways, mm -hmm. that is something that we're, that we do differ a little bit innately is that Renee is very prepared and Renee's a very good student and always has been. So the shot list, uh, the, the storyboard, (laughs) it's true. (laughs) The, the storyboard was Renee's idea. And I, at first I was resistant because I was like, I just don't think either one of us are good enough at drawing to, to Mm. do this effectively. But we did. And we powered through and we spent a really long time on it and they, the drawings got better and better. The thing is, it's not about being perfect, right? right? It's just about visually understanding and conveying that then to your DP, Mm -hmm. um, to your camera operator who will be carrying out your vision. Mm -hmm. But I should also say while while I was saying that, you know, that's not normally how I am. I, I usually have always felt more comfortable on my toes and in the moment. So I think those two, totally, (laughs) no, no. And that's what I mean. That's why where I was going with that is that, you know, we, 
I can't imagine have, having directed this movie without Renee. Right. And because we have those different skills, mm-hmm. we, because we have those different skills where I'm comfortable, you know, on my toes or making, you know, decisions on the spot. And Renee is so prepared that both of us kind of complimented each other and That's were true. able to be a better director than either one of us would have been on our own. Right. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. Life happens in 360 degrees. And now on Vimeo.com, so do your videos. Now you can upload, watch, and even sell your 360 videos on Vimeo. Vimeo 360 means immersive eye candy, immersive adventures, and immersive storytelling from the world's best filmmakers. Plus, Vimeo has tons of helpful resources for all experience levels. You can learn how to shoot, how to edit, and even get roundups of the best 360 video gear. Join the new home for 360 video at vimeo.com slash 360. So I want to jump into the fun stuff a little bit. I don't know how much time we have, but, you know, how can we not talk about your practical effects? Please. And you did uh, talk about them last night uh, in the Q&A, which was really exciting. So um, I guess the the first question is just like a a more umbrella type question. I wrote this down because you said... Last night at the Q&A, Renee, you wanted to push and escalate the surreal moments in the film. Mm-hmm. So talk about that sort of decision-making. Mm-hmm. Um, and for our listeners, what I'm talking about is that you think you're watching a, a sort of typical romantic comedy, and then a bunch of like weird shit starts to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it doesn't actually feel that... Uh, un, it, it's not that jarring, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Talk about the decision making, and then I'd love to hear some of the nitty gritty stories about how you pulled some of it off. Sure. Um, well, I'll just say, like, from an aesthetic, you know, uh, standpoint, we we grew up with, you know, films like The Labyrinth, um, mm-hmm. films that make use of puppetry mm-hmm. and are really imaginative, and and convey those, these emotions in a different way. And I should, I should also add films that, that did that before we had visual effects. Yeah. Before we had computer generated right. effects. So these were so old, like labyrinth is a, is a perfect example. It's all, I mean, the, the trickiest thing that they do on there is green screen work. Mm-hmm. Everything else is either like eye twisting set you know, sets that use perspective mm-hmm. or puppetry, which, and that is all of that stuff is real. And the mm-hmm. people that are acting with it are mm-hmm. in, in the space with it. And it's just, it's sort of something that stopped being used or has not been used as much, but we, you know, came, came up in the, f- with the films that, that use that. 80s. And those were so real to us, 80s. you know? Yeah. 80s. 80s films. Mm-hmm. Labyrinth is one of my favorites. Yeah. It my, it's one of ours probably too. Probably my all time yeah. favorite movie. Yeah. Um, and so we were really interested in approaching transformation, mm-hmm. uh, these kind of transformative moments in this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, also a huge fan of Charlie Kaufman mm-hmm. and his use of the surreal. Um, so, so yeah, so that that's really where we go in our minds. Mm-hmm. Because we were dealing with this this high speed romance, this relationship that they were rushing through. We Renee, myself and Dana were looking at the the relationship tropes, the things that the milestones that you hit in a long-term relationship and this could be marriage life. Mm-hmm. And we said, "Okay, well, it's Friday in the movie." Mm-hmm. And in Friday, we need to get them to from A to B. Mm-hmm. So the way to, the way that we 
immediately went to is like, well, how do we, let's make it surreal. Like let's get there in a, in a symbolic way mm-hmm. and then simultaneously thinking a symbolic way that we, and then also mm-hmm. how do we do it? Practically? Also, right. And also because it's a visual medium. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I just think what, let's show, don't mm-hmm. tell, show, show, don't tell, show, don't tell. And, uh, yeah. So we got into the mask work. Uh, there's a breakfast scene where, they Beck and Liam literally pull each other's faces off and they're finally honest with each other after that. So it's kind of like shedding that, you know, exoskeleton, that bullshit layer that we all put up in the beginning of a relationship mm-hmm. um, where we want to be the perfect versions of ourselves and we really want to please the other person. And after that comes down, they're they're able to be honest with each other, I think, for the first time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that's kind of yeah. so, one more thing to that, too. I am such a cartoon junkie yeah. and was growing up in the 90s, like the golden age of mm-hmm. like cartoons and Nicktoons. And in that medium, it it costs the same amount of money to have a character float around a room mm-hmm than it does to have them sit in a chair and talk. So they don't, that's never... There's um, no limitations in animation. Yeah, there's no budgetary limitation. It, it's all the same. It still has to be illustrated. It still has to be uh, animated. So for us, we I, we just go there. We go straight to the, that's well, let's, th- let's pretend we don't have to worry about what it costs. How? Like if we were watching this as a cartoon, what would happen? Right. And that's sort of where we started and then went to now, how do we do it? Right. right. So to clarify, it's not an animated film, It's not. but you use these practical effects. So talk about the mask and kind of like yes. what it took and what, <laughs> yeah. yeah. How did you do it? Yeah. So we worked with a uh, visual effects makeup artist, uh, Stephanie Ruiz de Chavez. She's incredibly talented. Um, she's worked on several, uh, she's been, basically assistant to a very big visual effects makeup house, mm-hmm. uh, for a while. Uh, so this was her baby. This, this, the relationship was also her first feature on her own, which was really special mm-hmm. that we got to share that and give her that opportunity. Um, so we made life casts of mine and Matt Bush's face. Um, that process was very cool. I mean, I've seen videos, you know, Jim Carrey doing his life cast for the yeah, mask. Six and hours of the yeah, six, the yeah. And, uh, and like, what does that mean? They put some goop on your face and yeah, basically it's this, it feels like rubber cement on your face. Really. Um, I found it extremely, uh, relaxing. I felt <laughs> like it was a day at the spa. Um, but Matt had a little bit of a different experience. I think he felt kind of claustrophobic in it. But also, guys don't do face masks. They're right. not used to that, you know? <laughs> I'm like, yes, all of it. Give it to me. But um, <laughs> basically, she created this mold of my face. And with that mold, she created the latex mask that we peel off of each other's faces. She also painted those masks so that, you know, they... They had all the details, my eyelashes, you know, my freckles. She had it super duper detailed. Um, and then we broke, when, when filming it, we broke it into uh, a, couple a couple of stages. So when they first start pulling off their masks, it's, um, it's, just, a, it's just a thin layer of latex. So we have that, you have that feeling that they're pulling skin away. It was only on the forehead. So it looked, I mean... It was literally our faces and just a tiny patch on the forehead. Mm. And then 
in a series of cuts, we built it up to, so the full mask was on the face, um, but we wanted it to look as, yeah, realistic as possible. Mm-hmm. So we had to <clears throat> kind of cut back and forth between, you know, the initial pull of the small piece of latex and then eventually the full mask. Mm-hmm. Wow. So what about the cocoon? Describe kind of what it is for people that haven't seen the film and then. Yeah, the cocoon is um, is the moment after a very, it's the first very, very honest scene between Beck and Liam when they really do um, connect, connect and fall in love with each other. Um, and right after that scene, they're laying in the hammock and it uh, turns into a cocoon in a in a very like time lapsey stop motion sort of butterfly metamorphosis style, which is what we were watching many videos of as we were thinking how it's definitely going to be stop motion, but what do do we want it to look like? Mm -hmm. And that idea came in the writer's room. Mm -hmm. Renee said, guys, (laughs) I think I was like, I just like stood up and I was like, oh my God, guys, they go into a cocoon and they come out married, Mm -hmm. you know, (laughs) just to catapult them into the next stage Mm -hmm. of this relationship. So and visually, oh my God, how cool would it be to show two human beings falling out of like a giant cocoon? Mm-hmm. Um, and so, yeah, so that's where we went with it. And then we enlisted the help of Mind Fruit, um, Damon. Who are a stop motion team. Yeah, stop motion team, Cassandra and Damon, uh, incredibly talented duo. <clears throat> and they were up for the challenge. Mm-hmm. We said, guys, we don't have a lot of time in our schedule. You know, we shot the whole film in 16 days. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) And um, 11 of those days were in the desert, uh, 97 degree weather. And that's, you know, at 8 a.m. And so, um, yeah, we had to just figure it out. And with layers of burlap and the ripped paper, the brown paper, um, the netting, uh, we transformed this hammock into a cocoon. Mm-hmm. So you two were literally lying in a hammock wrapped in burlap and stuff in 97 degree weather. Yeah. Luckily yeah. that was at night. So it wasn't, it was, you know, the drops in the desert. So it was a little bit cooler, Yeah. but we, we, Matt knew we were doing this stop motion. Matt is the lead actor, Liam. Uh, he knew we were doing the stop motion thing. He didn't know too much about it. Uh, I th- we had mentioned he, it. He loves to say that he found out the day before and he said it in the, the Q&A. Q&A last night. That is just not true. <laughs> but it does make a better story. Yeah. <laughs> we're not, we're not cruel people. <laughs> right. So we, we had talked with this stop motion team and we had said, you know, we had trying to figure out, well, really the only way to do this is to have them in it. They have to be in the cocoon while we're, they have to be in the hammock while we're making this cocoon. There's really no point where we can get them out of it to then continue the stop motion because it changes the shape of everything. It wouldn't work. So we, originally they said it was going to be six hours in the cocoon, Mm -hmm. which we were like, that's a lot of time. And, uh, it, it wound up being about four, four, four hours and like 18 minutes or something like that. But for me, I, again, much like the life cast, the mask, I absolutely loved it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like being two little bunnies in like a little, you know, like garden hole in the <sighs> ground. It just felt like so peaceful. And everyone was like working around us and we could hear their conversations. And it was, again, I really enjoyed the process. 
Yeah. Um, it was really fun. And so then technically the way that we did it was we put them in the cocoon. We put all of the layers of the cocoon on top on first and then we worked backwards because it's much easier to shoot stop motion taking things away Mm -hmm. than adding them on Mm -hmm. so we got them all in there it took about uh probably about a half an hour to get all of the layers on in the in the way and the pattern you figure that out right like the reverse like going in reverse I, i don't know i don't know it's a blur but I think that was part of it. You're like, I know, we'll go in reverse and then we'll be peeling layers off so you won't have all the layers on for very long. Right. That right. was part that of w- it. With like breathing, right. which you need to keep doing. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and then you just, you know, it, very simply, you put it all in, in and you just reverse the whole thing. And, and Each individual photo. Yeah. So, because the, the burlap, when it wraps first is it, it's wrapped in like a very cool like cross pattern it's very intricate mm-hmm. so this is so much quicker to do just pulling those out after we braided them all on so that's so that's why we shot it in reverse mm-hmm. and it's it's really cool it was a six well it was, it was about a five hour process altogether mm-hmm. for about 11 seconds and in the was, film there is a big debate on like how many frames per second are we gonna are we going to do like, is it going to be 12? Is it going to be, what did it end up being? I think it ended up being eight. We frames per second, eight frames per second. Cause what we, uh, what we had to sort of explain to, to mind fruit was that we want it to be choppy. They're perfectionists and they wanted it to look super smooth and polished. Yeah. And we had said like, no, no, this is based on a time-lapse. So we want it to look like, right. We want it to look choppy. It's not supposed to be perfect. It's not supposed to look like it's happening in real time. We want it to look organic. Uh, again, very DIY. Mm-hmm. That's right. kind of our aesthetic. Right. So. so that's why we ended up on eight frames per second. So in a 16-day shoot, you spent six hours <laughs> doing an 11-second shot in a stop-motion animation cocoon. Mm-hmm. It, Are you happy with how it turned out? Yes, definitely. It's very effective, Thank I would say. You. Yeah. Thank you. But that was, I mean, again, bold move. Thank and you. you can do it because it's your dang film. That's exactly. it. Yeah. <laughs> no, a lot of people thought it might have been, you know, to, uh, not the best use of time. Uh-huh. But I thought it was really necessary, especially uh-huh. for, for them to make that next leap in their relationship. Uh-huh. On their, <laughs> we both cannot say the word relationship anymore. Oh, yeah. I'm forever unable to pronounce we that word. It's always relationship. relationship. Yeah. No. <laughs> You might not be the only ones after this film gets out there. Right on. Um, Okay, so last question was your first feature. What do you know now that you wish you had known then? Mm. Oh, man. I would just say speak up. You know, I think a lot of the, um, you know, and, and questions arise all the time on set. There's always going to be question. Um, but I think as a duo, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and establishing yourself as first time film directors is it's, there's always kind of a navigation, Mm -hmm. uh, happening there, um, with your crew and, and things like that. So I would just say, yeah, speak up. If you have this idea bubbling up, Mm -hmm. let it out. Mm -hmm. And I, I think that is really, changed me in this process. Mm -hmm. I think that 
I was always really careful about my questions. Um, not as a kid, as a kid, I was definitely, and my, all of my teachers can attest to this. I was, <laughs> my hand was always up and I was always asking questions, but then something happens in college where you go, Oh God, is everyone, is everyone smarter around me? Like, you know, and, mm-hmm. and then this self judgment, <laughs> all of that. And you get kind of, you know, precious with yourself. And, um, but I would say that I've have, I've had a return mm-hmm. <laughs> to my younger self, uh, in this process. And I, and I, I've realized that your questions really strengthen you. Mm-hmm. And I should, I should say also that something that we learned as we were going is that there is to, you know, decide when it's time to stop for a second, slow down, think, mm-hmm. and then when it is time to go, mm-hmm. when you're fighting light. sunlight or, or, you know, you're running late and you know, you have another scene to shoot and it might be a hard one. Mm-hmm. It might be time to go quick and move. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes it's time to tell everybody to hold on a second, mm-hmm. to sit down and plan. Mm-hmm. There was just specifically real quick. There were, there was a shot where we had, we were fighting light. Mm-hmm. It was, it was a night shoot and the sun was about to come up. And you can imagine on a 16 day shoot. I mean, there's only 16 days of that sweet spot that like sunset golden right. hour. Mm-hmm. So, and we were only in the desert for 10 of those days or 11. Mm-hmm. Um, and so in this moment we were, it was nighttime and the sun was coming up and we were shooting the, uh, um, the burlesque scene where Beck dances in the peanut butter and jelly costume <laughs> and, uh, it's, it's pitch black outside and we have a spotlight shining right at our dancer and she didn't know where she was on or off out of, out of frame. So we, we took a couple of takes and, you know, we get two minutes into the take and she leaves frame. Amy Hessler, one of our dear friends, is the burlesque dancer. And um, so, you know, everyone is, well, we got to go again, we got to go again, the sun's coming up. And it got to the point where eventually we had to say, everybody stop for five minutes. We're going to find out where the lines are. We're going to draw lines in the sand. She needs to know. Literal line in the sand. Literal line in the sand because it's going to waste more time if we waste takes Mm -hmm. than it will to know for a fact that the next one won't be a waste. And that was something that. Great point. That was something that we learned, you know, on the way that there's a, there's a clear time where you have to decide whether to, you know, when it's time to stop and plan and when it's time to rush and go. Yeah with coyotes surrounding us that was the time where we, we, we that was literally the time mm-hmm. where we had to stop and say okay never mind the coyotes never mind the sun coming up we mm-hmm. have to find out where she is she mm-hmm. needs to know where right. she is absolutely yeah right and then also speaks to i think taking care of your actors yes mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. most definitely um well, you guys have been so candid and I really appreciate all the insights that you shared and kind oh, of thank you so the much. BTS. You're such a pleasure. This was oh, like well. our, my favorite so far. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, so thank you and best of luck with the film. I can't wait till it gets wide release and it becomes the labyrinth of the kids today. Oh my oh, wow. God. I know. Can you imagine? Oh, you're going to make me cry. <laughs> <laughs> thank oh, you so much. Awesome. That's really sweet. Thank you for listening. You can hear lots of other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes and, of course, by visiting us at nofilmschool.com. Make sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app so you can catch our Indie Film Weekly News Show, which comes out every Thursday morning and fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. 
Meanwhile, you can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.